Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. To be warriors of change, marketers must understand tomorrow's problems today. Being marketing fit means your business remains healthy and profitable. In this University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management miniseries, we'll debate the challenges CMOs are facing, the changing MarTech landscape, and emerging data conundrums. Together with our expert guests, we'll unpack corporate culture, emotional intelligence, and the customer experience of this. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, together with the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management, here is your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Futurebit Tribe, welcome back to yet another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. I am super excited because today we are going to discuss one of the topics that I absolutely adore, data. So here's a quote for you by Edwards Deming. In God we trust, all others bring data. No one should trust anything that's not backed by data. And that's a very, very strong start of today's episode but it is a conversation that we need to have because we need to identify what the problems of data will be for tomorrow and how we can start solving that today. So with me in studio, we've got the University of Johannesburg, Department of Marketing Management, sitting with us together with Beata, or Dr. Beata Stila Mulder. And then we've also got Professor Ilse Struvach with us. And then we've got Dr. Milani van Roy with us. So I'm going to go around and I want you to think if you were at a party and you had to introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself and what is your area of expertise? Milani. Cool bananas. That's an easy one for me. Love it. I am a unicorn. Oh! And I am a unicorn because I am left and right brained, which in today's marketing world, I must tell you, is a great advantage. Yes. So I've got a background in econometrics, and that means numbers, as you know, and I ended up being a marketing director. So hence the left and the right brain. So if I had to go to a party, I would wear a pink and purple suit with a big <laughs> unicorn. I love that. I yeah. love that. Isn't a unicorn also a billionaire? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> May it be a prophecy. Okay. All right. Dr. Beata. Hi, I'm Dr. Beata Stiller Mulder. And uh, seeing that we're uh, talking about interesting characters at parties, uh, <laughs> I would say that I always try to be like a cat because they're so good at arranging themselves to appear slim when they're feeling very fat. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got nine lives. And they've got nine lives, yes. <laughs> so you yes. get away with murder, I'm yes. assuming. <laughs> so and that's me. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Johannesburg's Department of Marketing Management, and I'm also the Department marketing coordinator. Fantastic. Professor Ilza, you have assisted us with an incredible piece of thought leadership on this community on grit. Thank so you. please tell us all about you. What are you all about? <laughs> well, I am a professor in the Department of Marketing Management. And if I had to introduce myself at a party, it would always, I'll always have a glass of white crisp white wine in my hand <laughs> and um and see how the evening unfolds oh i love that sauvignon blanc correct <laughs> <laughs> i just had to check because that used to be the wine i used to drink i've switched over to merlot oh and that's and that's 
It's divine. Oh, no. But it has a double impact. I think there's... No, no, there's, it's, it's, there's it's double power. <laughs> double power. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Without further ado, so we, as we're going to unpack um, data, the most dangerous strategy is to rely on gut and instinct. Although you need to embrace your gut and your instinct when you look for hypotheses and assumptions that you can make from the data, you always need to make sure that you can back it with data and with the actual insight. So data is collected through various channels and ways from qual to quant, and then obviously within your data, um, lakes and so forth. But I think let's start off with one of the biggest questions that I have is we're sitting in a stage where we have various departments. So the silo departments, because not many brands are integrated seamlessly. So you would have your marketing department, you will have the chief technology officer, and you will have the chief data officer. And all three of them have different agendas and they have different KPIs. And what happens is there's never an integration that happens between these three departments. What are the problems, just to open up the conversations, that you can identify you know, with regards to what these problems could be in the future? Yeah. So I have an industry background. I've been in on the FMCG side and um, currently I'm on the retail side. So I've been in C-suites for the last 19 years and I can tell you this common and that is that everybody talks big data, small data, quants, qual, because they're buzzwords. Mm-hmm. But I find that C-suites currently really pay lip service to it. You know, we would be lucky to have a, a marketing, a CMO, a CTO, and a chief data officer in a South African company. I think in your finance and your telecom companies, that's more true. But certainly on the retail side, with heaps and heaps of big and small data, I think the unrealistic expectation is actually what leads to silos. So in my experience, you know, it's legacy systems, for example, because your data is lying in 10 different places. Mm. And it's really to convince your CTO that the project to get all the data into one data warehouse is much more important than project X, Y, or Z. So very often the data projects get pushed down because it's marketing asking. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the realization of the wealth that companies have in terms of their data and what they can really do with the data has really struck. I think when you are in a teleco where that's it, you don't have a face-to-face relationship with your customer. You have to rely on the data and the insights. But really, I don't think there really is a South African retailer that I know of, that truly uses their data. They all claim, they all have it, they Mm. all talk it. But at the end of the day, the realities of data hosting, of getting proper data scientists in, because quite frankly, they go and work for the banks, they work for Discovery, they work for the... It's not their environment. So to me, it's, it's lip service from the... If your CEO is bought in, it's a different story. You get traction. But then you've got the other side of the coin as in, okay, I'm giving you um, a week. When can you give me some insights? Yeah. <laughs> and it's those unrealistic expectations because the, the cleaning of data, the gathering of data, the marrying of all the systems, it takes time. But once you're over that hump, so silos, yes, but not so much between the IT department and marketing, but more between 
marketing IT and the rest of the C-suite. Mm. And I just want to add to your points. One thing that I've noticed in working with clients is like when you go to a client to say, okay, give me the top 20% of your base, break them down for your top 3%, your 17%, that most companies, even with data scientists that works within their departments, are not able to extract that. 100%. 100%. It's a huge issue and it really gets to a point where you really cannot mine those insights if you don't have. And it's simple things. People won't believe you if you tell them that. If you didn't see it for yourself, if you didn't hear it for yourself, you would probably yeah. not have believed that. Yeah. And it is true. And I have to tell you an interesting story before we move on, Beata. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of custom experience audits. So I always start with data. Data is the fundamental in order to get that insight. And when I start doing these audits and with quite a few many, many clients, and we've done a lot of them internationally, I can guarantee you that 90% of them don't know who their customers are. They have an idea, an assumptive persona or LSM, as we would call it, and say this is the customer, but it is very far off from who their customers really are. So you, you 100% right on that. I'm glad I didn't say it because nobody would believe me. Uh, well, I mean, for me at this stage, I'm just, um, you know, sort of very interested to hear all of this. But um, with Ilza saying earlier that she's into the qualitative, to what extent do you think companies are receptive for qualitative data? Yeah, that's a good one. I recently had a, a, a qualitative survey done and I had trouble convincing because there's this presupposed idea of who our customers are mm -hmm. you know especially if the corporate memory is quite long you know i get it but you know i've been doing this for 26 years and i know who my customers are and there's a gap where it literally is you said you like the color purple so you said it and when i go back and say but you know 17 percent of the people said they like color purple no that can't be that's not my experience you know so i think that even on a qualitative level the receptiveness i think data scares people can i be honest yeah. with you Let's I be think honest, data yeah. scares people because it infringes on, on what I know and what I'm comfortable with and anything new. And to me, it's, it's the new gold. Guys, pricing and product, everybody can have the same pricing and the same product. I mean, it is what it is. You go on mm. price check, you know, the advantages in knowing your customer. And it's almost, as you're saying, common to really get to know my customer, whether it's good qualitative research or not, people are scared. Mm. Very true. Um, I actually came across a um, study done in 2016 that found that only 14% of marketers are confident dealing with data. And I think that, sure. um, that really resonates with what Dr. Milani has said, is that people are scared of it because mm. of the, the amount, the enormity of it, mm -hmm. but also um, really... Do people have the ability to draw real insight and depth mm. from the data? Mm. That is the other um, yeah. dilemma. I mean, I would actually like to ask, you know, from a university perspective and I think also from a skills development mm. perspective, what kind of advice would you provide in terms of skills that people yeah. need? And perhaps even to, you know, let's go operational, name you know, a few software names, etc., where, you know, these are the softwares that you need to qualify yourself in so that we can just get a better yeah. idea because I think it's incredibly important that we start to bring these things more into universities. Of course, we've had to have to a certain extent, but we can always do mm. more. So mm. I would I'd like to pose that to you. Yeah. So from a marketing point of view, that's always a difficult question because 
what is an average marketing student? I mean, it's anything from the super creative blue haired one to the really nerdy researcher. So mm. there's everything in between. And one must be very careful not to try and make them data scientists or data engineers. There's a role for them. For me, the role that a marketer needs to play is the interpretation of data and and the visualization of the data. Mm -hmm. And I think the skills that students need to be exposed from first and second year is to understand data, not necessarily to do the Hadoop programming or know R Studio, although it's great if they can do that Mm -hmm. as well. So coding, for instance, is a great skill but it's not for everyone but it is for everyone to understand the data insight or to take a set of data whether it's qualitative or quantitative mm. and come up with a, an insight because very often your data scientists can come up with the analysis but they battle to find the real insight the and insight. take that into an insight and I think that's the one thing and I've always said to students excel Excel, Excel. If you can do an advanced Excel course as soon as you can, because I mean, big data is all fancy, but I mean, actually with small data, you can do so much on an Excel spreadsheet. So for me, a marketing student that walks out of there, even if you become a project manager in a studio, you need to know Excel, you're still going to work with numbers. But it's the awareness of data visualization and data interpretation, which I find they know about the metrics, they know but they don't know how to interpret. And that, to me, is the key thing that they're missing out on. Because that's who the yeah. C-suite looks at. Okay, Mouse, we've got all this data, but what's the so what? Yeah, so true. So let's take an example. So you use third-party data and you find out that 70% of your base is divorced, right? Okay, that's great. What does that actually tell you? Because what I can tell you is that Two households, no longer one household. They've downscaled, moved into a smaller house. They are budget restrained. They're going through an emotional um, roller coaster. So there's a lot of things and ways of how you need to have a better tone with this customer, how you need to treat them. They're going to need loans. And, and I mean, I'm just talking from a financial perspective. If there was a builder's warehouse, for example, this is going to be a person that's going to need nuts and bolts, <laughs> put up the pictures, do their own plumbing and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's understanding how to interpret the data 100%, but also about asking the right questions from the data, because I don't think a lot of people know what to ask from the data, Mm. the known unknowns, known knowns, et cetera. You know, and that's the problem that originates in the C-suite. They want to know everything about everything, but they then end up doing nothing about nothing, you know, and it's actually distilling those facts. You know, I always say to my students, it's the, it's the one hand rule, come up with five nuggets because Mm -hmm. that's what people can deal with. Even though, and you know, that's unfortunately the thing with, with data and data science is you'll work for three weeks And you'll come up with five things, but it took three weeks to come up. But those five things can move your bottom line with a couple of percentage points. Mm. And I think once students realize that the impact that they have on the bottom line is there, it's not just about the pretty pictures anymore and the TV ads and the radio, etc. It's really, as you say, to build this warehouse, understanding that these are single moms Mm. and single moms need bolts and nuts. Yeah. it's a nugget. I think people often think you have to come up with these spectacular insights. Correct. Sometimes it is if you send to this base this ad and you do an A-B testing on your digital marketing and you check that da- that's more than enough. So for me, understanding also the impact of all the um, social media data that we have, because I think that's flooding 
the C-suites now. Yeah. Sentiment analysis and it is too much for them to handle. You have to break it down into chunks to be able to get them. And you know what? I get the idea that if you train the C-suites, don't dump the big lot on them. Start small. I remember mm. speaking to the uh, chief data officer of Discovery. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> 200 actuaries working for him. And he said sure. to him, Mel, I started with three. We started small. We started, you know, feeding them small things. And I think that to me is how you really build it over time because it's a lot of training and you have to be very careful because these are people that have been in the industry for a long time. Now you tell them just your growth rate versus last year is not enough anymore. Correct. Um, yeah, so it is really to me, it is simplifying something that is so enormous to a point where it is palatable and it can be executed. But yeah. Dr. Milani, isn't that then where the objective of the actual research becomes so important because you have to come back to what was it that we actually wanted to know. Sure, there are going to be additional information that mm. comes out. I always talk about the similarities, the differences and the odds. Mm. And the odds are the things that you really want to look at. But um, basically what we need students, going back to Dr. Beata's point on what we can teach our students is to look for the hidden insights. Mm. And it's a very difficult thing to teach someone to do, but then also to exploit in a positive way <laughs> um, that insight through an interpretation that has an impact. Mm. So it keeps the eyes of <laughs> insight the exploitation of the, that insight and to really understand it through deep interpretation. Mm. Yes. Mm. Such a true point. Yeah, so I want to add to that um, is that I think now when you design a campaign, for instance, as a marketeer, one of the key things that you now have to do pre the campaign is actually to put down what is it that this campaign needs to do. Mm. Because that's what you will end up measuring. And I think, you know, over all the years that I've been involved with marketing departments, very often you would ask the question, what is the aim of this competition campaign that you have um, to get more customers? Yeah, well, we know that. But what type of customer, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the ask for the marketer in the room is now pre because everybody does post-campaign analysis. I think that pre-campaign analysis oh, okay. has now become key. Because if you're not clear about that, then, you know, we had a guy at SAB that always said, you end up getting what you're getting because of what you measured. And if you're not sure about what you're measuring, you're going to, you know, you'll end up with that. We should tweet that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a quote. Um, no, I think that's especially true. And I mean, um, I lecture a couple of classes in digital as well. And especially, especially in the digital field, if you don't know what you want to do and you set those objectives clearly, mm. you really struggle to measure properly what you want to do. Mm. So I think that is an incredibly true point. And something I just wanted to go back to in terms of talking about the C-suits and saying that we are, you know, overwhelming them um, to a certain extent. I think it's important that we appreciate gradual change and to gradually introduce different things. But I think at the same time, there's also a need for marketers to also calm down and to go out and look at the different tools available there, but to decide on the ones that work and to stick mm. with them for a while. 
Because if I just look in academia how things have changed, I mean, I recently published a paper where I did a sentiment analysis with a software called Diction. So you could literally extract different sentiments just from people's conversational tones from that particular data that was transcribed interviews. Then there's Leximancer that you can use to do, um, that use a machine learning technique, etc. Mm. But I think you need to identify the tools and also stick with them. And maybe just, you know, get your company used to the tools. That's kind of the yeah. impression that I get, that this would yeah. be used, gradually train people not to be scared of it, how to use it themselves, play yeah. with it. That's, that's really the idea that I get. Yes. I want to add to what Beata says here. I've seen it now. I mean, one of the biggest conundrums now in retailers is which marketing automation software should mm-hmm. we be using? You know, is it, what uh, is it, is it IBM yeah. Watson? Is mm. it Quora? Is it this or is it that? And they do get overwhelmed because it promises so much. And I've seen that sometimes sticking with your old system and first getting them to buy into it, maybe the insights aren't as fancy or as an amazing as, but you know what? I can't agree with you more because, because that's how you train them in a respectful manner. Because, you know, in any field, whether it is retail, telecoms, banking, these guys have got a hell of a long history in the company. And if you just come and overwhelm them, what will happen is, you just get the no when it comes to budget time. And I've seen that if you train them, it's like training your dragon, mm-hmm. you know, train yes. them slowly because these systems can be hellishly expensive. Yeah. It takes a lot of machine power. And when you start talking AI and bots and this and that, the eyes cross over. Mm. And then they start measuring it in the number of bully beef cans that they have to sell to afford it all, you know, how much toilet paper in my case. So I can't agree with you more. It's bite size. Yeah. If I might just um, add on it, first of all, I just want to touch on a point why it's so important when you do data analysis. So like I would give you an example how we would approach a client's data. So say, for example, you had people that entered a competition. Okay, we get the cell phone number and we enrich that cell phone number, not to exploit the data, but to give an analytical view of who those people are, what their demographics are, the prizes that you use, what were you giving away? Was it effective? Did it resonate with the customer? And then from that, also to understand what is your top profiles and da, 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 da. it can go on forever. But then there's also the nuggets that you will discover. But we need to abandon all assumptions. So you find a nugget, there's something there, you don't know what it really means. And that's where qual comes in. Because then you need to go and dive in Think of the blue and the gold dress, right? That picture went viral. Um, I think it was BuzzFeed. Was it BuzzFeed? It went viral and everybody had a different perspective. It was gold and it was blue. But the moral of the story is... blue. It was blue, I know. But people saw gold and I was like thinking people are crazy. Why do they think it's gold? But... It shows you that we as customers have a different view and a different perspective about how we see your brand or how we engage with your brand, how we make decisions, how we buy, all of that. And that comes from Qual. Mm. And that is the social construction of your customer's reality. Mm. That is what you actually want to to get to. Yes. Because then it's seeing it from their perspective. Correct. I want to give you an example on that. Love um, I, I want to give you an example. So I started a new loyalty program with Diskim called For Youth because when we did our research, we uh, saw that we weren't really tapping into the youth market as much as we wanted to. So we uh, created a card and we started marketing, you know, all fancy things based on, on our data analysis. 
And within eight months, when we looked at the data insights, what were they buying? Nappies and um, household items. And I went, that is just so weird. My data, you know, why is it? And you know what? Uh. It took an old-fashioned focus group, Uh. just an old-fashioned focus group. We brought in 20 of them. We sat them down and we said, but you are between 18 and 25 and this is what you're buying. And you know what we didn't realize? How many single parent households there are between 18 and 25 that might still even be studying that and I went wow here I thought it was going to be perfume and luxury items well you think somebody else is buying it exactly so, or they buying it for and else? so instead of then catering correctly I was actually pitching to the wrong crowd I was mm. pitching to the single parent crowd instead of to the student crowd which is what I really wanted mm. so that was taking big data I got the insight and saw oh but it didn't confirm what I thought and then you go to the qual, then you deep dive and mm. you say, listen, I'm not understanding what you guys are doing here and you figure it out. I think it's just so fabulous about marketing is that the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, you still made sales. It was just to a different, you know, consumer group. <laughs> and I think, I think I just wish, you know, that we could make more awareness out there that marketing just is not an exact science. Um, it really is difficult. And at the same time, I also want to um, just echo the whole aspect with regard to qualitative. I used to be very much a quantitative researcher, and I've in the last couple of years discovered the wonderful world of qual. And honestly, I've been amazed every time with the amount of depth that you get mm. from it. And just, uh, you know, like Gils like also said, it's people's social reality. And mm. I think it's such a beautiful description. And I would definitely be an advocate to always say, do mixed methods where you've got your mm. big data, which guides it, do smaller projects from that, which can be quantitative, and combine that with qualitative to get that extra, extra depth, mm. because it can be so incredibly useful. And don't forget... And then you can add the gut. Then you can add the experience of the executive that has never worked with any of that but comes with that. You know, sometimes I find that I get stuck at a point with an insight and sometimes it takes a half an hour discussion with a merchant that goes, but now this is the reason why this is happening. I went, oh, I never thought about this. Mm. It's a combination. And I think that is the beauty of the field that we are in. That's yeah. the exciting. That's the yeah. unicorns. Yeah. That's yes. exactly why I'm yeah. a unicorn because you have to be able to think creatively okay. about a problem mm. but analytical at the same time. 100%. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I love unorthodox thinking. I love to challenge the status quo. For me, it's very important also with marketing is to try and simulate, innovate, elevate. So, okay, right, let's take a focus group. When customers talk to each other, it's what they say about your brand when you're not in the room, mm, right? Mm, mm. So where do they talk? They talk at a braai. They talk at a restaurant. They complain with their friends in a social environment. So when I do research for brands, I like to sometimes do weird things. Mm. And one of those would be to put 10 women together that's complained about a brand, do pedicures, and I give them champagne and I'm like, Talk, okay, mm. and, <laughs> and find out what is the bottom sure of the, the problem. Helps. <laughs> or like a bri, set the environment mm, in yeah. which that those scenes really happen, mm. because then you get a different perspective. And yes, obviously, there's a lot of methodologies around it because you need to work with behavioral specialists and so forth in order to really bring it to light. But I think we also sometimes we overthink things. 
and mm. we make things so sterile. And there's one thing that I do have to object is, mm. oh, please don't give me. I am a marketer, but I mean, one of the things is sometimes I feel focus group can sometimes not give you the answers that you really mm. want because people get incentivized to give you answers. And because they're being incentivized, mm. they, they're trying to please you mm. with giving you mm. answers. That is not really what you're looking for. You want pure honesty. Mm. Absolutely. It's a combination of things. The, the, the one thing that I want to add, Carmen, is the one danger there is in this field of data with marketers at the moment is that we very easily can go into a paralysis, mm. that you get to a point where you actually need 10% of the data to actually make a decision. And I find myself that I often have to pull myself out of that trap that I don't try and over-engineer to a point where that marginal 3,000 extra customers that I add is not making a difference to the insight. It's to know where the sweet spot is. Correct. It's the same, whether it's a focus group, whether it is a questionnaire, whether it's big data, small data, it's to know when is enough enough, when is your sample robust enough, because I have found that, especially with my highly technical students that come and work for me, they can spend days and days, and I'm saying, guys, the clock is ticking, my competitor is selling, and it's mm. to find that because that's when you irritate your fellow C-suiters, yeah. because then they go, come on, guys, you, you know what, you're waiting it's and moved. you're waiting. Yeah. Life moves, and so data needs to move as well. But I think also something that's very important there is also that is why AI is such a powerful tool, the connected intelligence that can help us in order to mine that data as quickly as possible. But it also starts with structured and unstructured data, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, like if your data is dirt and you, you can spend money on the most expensive technology like data management platforms, DMPs, as they would call it. But if your data is not clean, the insights that you're going to get is going to be skewed and you're in any way going to go in the wrong mm -hmm. direction. So, Data needs to be treated sacredly. Absolutely. And also just to get back to the point of um, when is it enough? Mm, yes. um, that's usually the question that we get when students have to present their master's and doctoral proposals. But when you reach saturation, that is when you can comfortably say mm. it's enough. And then one shouldn't waste the time and rather use the time to get deeper insights from the data than just merely more and more mm. and more. Totally agree. One question that, <laughs> that I have that really concerns me, I think it was uh, recently we heard about the iPad and the iPad has been hacked and your, the data is being compromised. We're hearing more and more about, um, you know, the data breaches happening out there. And I am very concerned for clients or for brands and businesses that collect data for the sake of data. And it's sitting in the folder unprotected and just sitting there. They've got such incredible information about a person and what they can know about a person would scare the living Day. So, Day day but I mean, if businesses are suffering from data obesity mm. and they're not really mm. mining that, is that a concern that we need to start raising because they are not be they being careless with the protection of their clients' data? Common, I think if people had to know how bad this really is, they would almost do what you almost said just now. 
I am extremely <laughs> concerned that, you know, we talk about Papa, Pop, I call it Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> I call it Tani Poppy. So yeah. we talk about her a lot. We go to courses, et cetera, et cetera. But let me tell you, that is a major concern. You can imagine I work for a pharmaceutical group, all right? If I know that you came to the dispensary. It's on a computer. It's there that you came for Viagra or a pregnancy test or whatever. Mm. And that is the type of data that I'm even more concerned about. And it's as if over years people built their own little bases on their own hard drives. And to now convince people how extremely dangerous it is, and I want to give you an example. I recently received an SMS unsolicited with a link to an article on depression. And I actually followed it up because I couldn't understand why this specific company was sending me an article on depression. And they got my data from another pharmacy group um, that I used a certain antidepressant, but I'm not (gasps) using it for depression. I'm using it for a sleep disorder. And I felt extremely violated that you had the audacity to diagnose me as a depressed person. And this guy was, you know, he was very sorry and whatever. But, you know, that to me is the danger today is that, and I love the word data, obesity. There's too much. You know, if I take your ID number and I go to a data provider, I can know everything about you. I know whether you're divorced or not, whether you've got a house, whether you're a company director. So if I'm a pharmaceutical company, why do I need to know that you are divorced. I mean, I'm just taking an example. Mm. There's sometimes people have, they buy this data and then, then I get sent stuff and that's how you lose clients. You know, personalization of marketing, as great as it is, as much it is probably the tool that will trip us all. And I just think there's a responsibility to us as marketers to guard the data that we have with jealousy because you will lose that customer. Before we move over to Professor Mm. Eels, I just want to say something very important is that we need to use data to extract value for the customer, not for the business. Because what happens, the business is just money, money, money. And money paralyzes people to think clearly about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's why you would get Mm -hmm. a message like that because, oh my God, I need to make sales. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when you start getting, I'm not going to use wrong words, for it, but when you're mm-hmm. starting getting so obsessed with money, you make stupid decisions because it's coming from an emotional perspective and, and feeling feared mm-hmm. all the time. Just back to the risks and mm-hmm. data governance, which is a, a major concern as well. But that actually links up with what we spoke about earlier, and that was the silos um, to have an integrated data architecture. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. in your organization and then within that architecture to have uh, data governance policies Mm -hmm. because if the data is um, all over the place in the company it's much more difficult to control who has access who doesn't have access but then the other question is who should have access to that information So it's about the governance and the privacy, but both inside and outside the organization. What I also want to say is I don't think people realize the damage that you can do to your brand as a result. Uh You know, I this might sound quite petty, but let's say you work for a a food retailer and you've got access to a database of, of some sort. And now I'm sending you this weekend's meat special, but I spell atrociously. 
I exceed 144 characters and it comes into two SMS. The danger of harming your brand, and I think that's what people don't understand. They see the sale, but they don't realize that the reputational damage to your brand. And I can tell you one thing, Carmen. Here's my hypothesis. I think the regulators are waiting to give somebody a big club. Oh, yeah. And they're going to give a fat, fat fine to somebody in this country to make an example of them before anybody's going to get into line. And I think it's coming sooner than what we think. They're going to give them a good fine, and then you're going to see everybody because the South African landscape is reckless. They're reckless with yeah. data. And mm. I mean, I'm just going to use the two points I want to talk about um, what you've just said. The other thing is, is that what we as marketers do, so let's take the SMS, for example, financial companies. We find these new glimmering new technologies. They just look so amazing. And then we find a way of using it and we scorch it to the ground and then onto the new technology. And, and look what SMS was such a powerful tool. And now we're onto WhatsApp I, and chatbots. And eventually I think that's also going to die because marketers have a tendency of scorching things because it's like, we see, oh, this person is doing this. Okay, then I must also be doing this because they are doing that. And we copy and paste each other. And then it just takes one company to be the silver bullet that comes through and does something completely different. And there they go, like Uber did, for example. Mm. But another thing is that I want to mention, you're 100% right. The regulators, they're coming. Mm. You know that Liberty, in one of my previous podcasts, if you go way, way back, we were comparing... Papia, so for our international listeners, it's the Protection of Personal Information Act against GDPR. Mm. And we're comparing how it's regulated, etc. And what happened was Liberty, which is a local company here, if I'm not mistaken, but I do believe it's the, I'm mentioning the right company, they had a data breach. And it was a massive deal. And do you know that the regulator went in? And had a hearing and wanted to understand exactly what's happening. Mm. And the act is not even in action as yet. Mm. Sure. So it's already starting. It's just waiting yeah. patiently for a brand to stuff up. And that was in July last year. That was July mm. last year. Mm. That's it. You it know, feels like yesterday. Common, you're making such an interesting point. Actually, I haven't thought about it this way. But... You're talking about marketers scorching. You know, we, we love talking about the omni-channel that we have. And, you know, we've got the omni-channel. We speak to customers wherever they are, whenever they are. But, <laughs> but do you realize then, if that is, if your hypothesis is true, we literally are then narrowing all the channels that we can speak to our customers through. Because if Facebook is not it anymore, and if Twitter is not it anymore, and if we're going to kill WhatsApp, mm. watch it. It will happen. The channels that you can talk to your customers because they're not watching TV anymore. So TV ads are becoming this and they're not. And I just, I just think that that is a serious, serious thing for us as marketers because then where do you go? How do you then, then really it only is the point of truth at the store. But with online, that is a huge threat for a bricks and mortar retailer. Because, you know, with online retailers, I find I give them better permission to talk to me because I know it's the only way they can talk to me is because I'm not in their store. But we then as marketers are killing our own channels that we have to speak to our customers, which is a sobering thought that this wonderful tool that we have called data, we're actually abusing and killing our own yeah. place where we've got our voice. 
100% and it's because we don't understand the data in order for us to personalize it because it's very important to personalize it in a way that it almost cross-pollinates into each other. So let me give an example. Car wash. I want to go and get my car wash. Today, I only have 20 minutes to have my car wash. So I'm willing to pay a premium price in order for you to wash my car very quickly. Over the weekend, I have a lot of time and I'm happy to go and have my car washed, have a newspaper, buy a croissant and have a lovely like, chat with my husband. No time, just being relaxed. So you are constantly moving in between different personas. And for brands to really understand that it's not going that, that granular that you scare the crap out of people where they're like, how the hell do they know that about me? Mm. It's getting to a point where you understand the behavior and at what point a person can migrate from one persona to another because you have different trigger mm -hmm. points. And I'm 100% with you on the channel. And actually, I wanted to highlight something. If we look at the MarTech landscape, the MarTech landscape, 2011 was 150 technologies or 110 technologies. I can't remember off heart. And year on year, it's growing tremendously and it's now sitting on almost about seven or eight thousand technologies and instead of technologies being refined they're being reinvented so instead of looking and it's exactly like how brands are i think there's opportunities for brands that know that the stockfell market buys omo and they buy sunlight and they buy maybe stay soft and maybe it's two fmcg companies but because they buy those particular products in a group as a stock file, you need to collaborate with these businesses because you can no longer see yourself as a silo. And I think the whole fundamental problem is that we have everybody in this siloed mentality of thinking in one format. And that's why we can't innovate and experiment beyond those borders. And I think there's such, in that is such a great opportunity for oh, companies sure. to collaborate. I mean, can you imagine? So, so let's talk about the Dischem customer is also the Woolworths customer. Mm -hmm. Is also, quite funnily enough, the macro customer. Why are we not collaborating in terms of what we... Because we're all spamming these people to death with information, um, using all sorts of, as you say, Martech to me. <laughs> you know, they put a little bit of an ad on, but, you know, you put lipstick on the pig, it's still a pig, but now <laughs> they charge so much more. So... Although we are competitors to a degree, can you imagine a world where customers are being spoken to through collaboration? Mm, love that. I think there's such a wonderful opportunity. We're not there yet. We are mm. not there yet. But can you imagine the saving on the amount of SMSs that's being sent, the amount of mails that flood mailboxes? I mean, I take myself, I'm a big booking.com fan because mm. I love traveling. I want to get hold of them because the money that they're wasting on sending me that property in Flippin' Dahlstrom that I've already been to on your mm. system and I paid through your system and you're still sending me ads on Dahlstrom. I'm not going there anymore. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm glad that students are getting to that point where they are actually being made aware that beyond the normal theory of marketing, there are these realities which a book cannot teach you. There's a lot in terms of exposure to these type of things and these types of podcasts and talks to understand that I might be the marketing director of Diskim, but it might be a great idea. And I actually met a very senior customer person in an airport 
And the wow. amazing discussion that we had in terms of sharing, you know, not data. I don't want to have Woolworths' data set, yes. but it's sharing. So we're looking at collaborating with a banking group. Not to you send your products to my customers and I send mine to yours, but where do we have common customers? What can we learn from them from their share of wallet and their mm. broader behavior? I cannot tell you the amazing insights coming out of that. And that's what you actually wow. want from big data or mm. big, big insight is that 360 degree exactly. view of your customer. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on some academic papers as well on co-creation and how important it is to bring the customer in creating the experience as well. So I think we still have a long way to go, but the co-creation and working together, that's what's going to take us forward. 100%. I mean, as you mentioned, the singular view of the customer is also understanding how do you merge all of these technologies so that you can actually understand from which channels, where did they come, where are they going, because they might be going to Woolworths for a specific reason. I can tell you, when I go to Woolworths, there's certain things that I will buy from there. The thick sliced bread. Don't ask me. I like the thick sliced bread. Mm. Okay. I love the chocolate eclairs. <laughs> should, I, should I continue? And the milk and the custard. Um, so there, there's certain things mm. that I really like, and, and that's just how I am. But it's so important. Um, Faith Popcorn, are you mm. familiar with yeah. the Nostradamus? Mm. Oh, I love Faith mm. Popcorn. Mm-hmm. I want to meet her. Don't you want to meet her? We can bring her out to South Africa. Why don't we Why bring her to one of our conferences? Come, come, come. <laughs> she would be she, amazing. I'm like, I'm, I'm Faith Popcorn, if you're listening. I will be approaching you because I would like for you to be on the show. Anyway, but Five Popcorn the, uh, recently made a prediction that consumers are going to start following the subscription model, mm, subscription companies. So what that means for, for the audience, just so that you can understand, is that if I buy into your brand's values and what you stand for and what your purpose is all about, then therefore I will support all of the other brands. And that's why a discovery is getting it right. And that's where the future is going. And that's a big challenge for a lot of businesses to start considering. Any views? I'm so for subscription model. I must say, when you say that word, my eyes start flickering because that's where you tie the customer in. That's where you bring the loyalty element in yes. because I understand you. I know you like the thick slice bread and I know you like the eclair. So now I'm going to sell it to you every month, but I can add to the basket. I can upsell, but, but it's based on you. And that is something that I think will change the landscape. And I think online is going to play a huge, huge role in for this. Sure. Mm. For sure. Any closing thoughts before we go into our tradition, which is playing a game? I hope you're ready. I had just have also one quote, seeing that you started with a quote. Yay! And about data, it's not what you look at that matters in data. It's what you see in the data. Oh, I love that. that. And then I want to add... And how do you actually use it (laughs) purposefully? Purposefully. And you know what? I think when, just as a closing thought, Adidas does it so well. Starbucks does it so Mm. well. They understand how to derive the data. They know they have smart data, dumb data. They take the whole lot and they have data and they understand that if you give me the data, I will use this data to best serve your particular Mm. needs. And because they know that the brand is responsible with their data, they give them all the data so that they can create bespoke experiences. And and we actually um, 
if you listen to the other podcast where we unpack AI, is that's where AI starts mm. playing a very important role to create a very bespoke product and service for the particular customer. We are going to ask you to go down to the links below. We have a white paper for you to download that takes this this to the next level. And um, you're going to have some fun reading. So enjoy. So now in tradition, we're going to move over to the game. Are you ladies ready? Ready. ready. Before yes. we start, I have to say something. Women in tech. We are all here. Mm. Hey, isn't it incredible? Mm. For a woman. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to say that. Okay. Girl power. Women's <laughs> month. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> Women's days. Every day. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here. And welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers. But this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it, go. Christmas carols. Jingle bells. No, we need three. The Rudolph and Adrest reindeer. And another one. Um, I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> Brass instruments. Say that again. Brass instruments. Uh, uh, tuba. Yeah. Um, trumpet. Yes. Oh, trumpet. Uh, saxophone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Types of modern art. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could answer um, this. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Pablo Picasso. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, which, uh, okay, 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 okay. Children's artists, books. Yeah. Children's books. Uh, Beatrix Potter. <laughs> the Wimpy Kid. Okay, yours? Yes. Okay, languages in Asia. Chinese, Mandarin. Yeah. Hindi. Hindu. Okay, okay. English words taken from the Greek language. Okay, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> <Indian. laughs> oh. Oh my God, helium. Was, helium was one word. Comes from Helios. There we go. Uh, there okay. you go. Is <laughs> there something you don't know? Do you have one of those things in your mind that Elon Musk the is unicorn. predicting? Mm. Oh, it's the unicorn. <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. You are laughing. I think I'm a bit of a unicorn. There we go. Oh, give me a high five. Booyah. Okay. All right, ladies, thank you so much um, for joining us today. This was really, I wish we could sit here for another three or six hours and just unpack this topic. It's something I'm really so passionate about. We didn't even get into small data. But anyway, for the audience, a book that you must read is Martin Lindstrom. It's called Small Data, brilliant, brilliant book of case studies. And how do you find the tiny clues that uncover huge trends? Bye now. Bye. Thanks, Carmen. Bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. 
Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.